0: Let us turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're continuing through our uh, messages, beginning at verse uh, 17 through 24. We go from walking in unity in the first 16 verses of this chapter to living that out by walking differently. Recognized that text last week that there's one one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The last two weeks, one God, the Father of all. Then Paul went to uh, the gifts that Christ gave his church, and the purpose of those gifts was to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying and building up of the church that we all may become mature Christians. That is the purpose of those gifts. Those gifts are not used to, to serve us but also to serve the faithful, to serve the saints, to help the church to grow. That is why God has gifted his church. And so now that we've established that, Paul transitions into what it looks like to walk differently as believers. So what I'm going to do is read the whole section Beginning at verse 17, down to the end of the um, chapter, and then go back and look at our passage this morning that we're going to concern ourselves with. So, beginning at verse 17, Ephesians 4, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness is holiness. Therefore, having put away lying or falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt communication or talk come out of your mouth, for only such as is good for the building up, as fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, if you notice just in reading those passages, those verses rather, if you didn't notice this, I'll bring it to your attention. You see a lot of negative commands in there. A lot of prohibitions. The Christian life is not just about what we ought to do or how we ought to live, but it is also about how we ought to live by not doing certain things. You know, For all the positive thinking people out there, there's some negative thinking that should take place in the Christian life also. But it's not a bad negativity. There is some negative thinking that is involved in the Christian life. There are some prohibitions for the children of God. There are some things that we are not to do. That's a negative. The word not is a negative word. There are aspects of the Christian life that are negative. And it's not bad. There are some negatives. If you look at the Old Testament, look at the book of uh, Deuteronomy, perhaps, you will see that God forbids the Israelites, the Hebrews, from certain practices to not be like the pagans. And we talk about this as we went through our Deuteronomy Bible study, that the reason for all these commands and all these laws was to distinguish Israel from all the pagans around them. That's why they were forbidden to do certain things. To distinguish themselves as his unique people from the pagans, from the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Kirbites and the Amorites and the Moabites. All those ites, all those pagan nations, the Philistines, all those all those pagan nations, those idol worshippers, God gave them all those commands in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to separate them from those pagans. Because as his chosen people, they were to walk differently from those other nations. They were to take care of themselves. Their ceremonies were to be different from the pagans. And as New Testament believers, it's the same imperative. We are called as believers to walk differently from the world, to think differently than the world, to have a different worldview than the secular worldview, which dominates the world. So we see these negative commands. Christ did things for us. Now in light of this, here's how we... what what, what we ought to do for Christ. That's basically what Paul is saying. James one twenty-two says that we ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've been called in Christ. We read that in uh, Ephesians 1 and 18. We are called in Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. And that calling motivates us to pursue unity as we saw in the earlier part of this chapter that calling motivates us to pursue unity in Christ to use the gifts that we have that Christ has given all of us to build up the body of Christ to build us all up into maturity and also to live differently from the world to walk in purity to walk in the newness of life as Paul told the Romans in Romans 6 and 4 We have to walk in the newness of life. We are alive in Christ. Okay? And we have to put out the new man. And that's what he speaks of in this passage. So we're taking off the old man and putting on the new man. But how does that look? First, he gives an admonition. So we're going to look at just these few things here this morning. He begins by saying, therefore. Therefore means having said all that was said uh, before. He talks about the practical aspect of the walk of a believer. He says, therefore. Therefore is therefore a reason. He says here, I testify in the Lord that you, and you are speaking to the saints, should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles were. Now you we see the word Gentiles here, you're speaking of those who are cool in the world. Unbelievers, pagans, non-Christians. We're not to walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. And how do they walk? He's going to lay it out and that's what we're going to look at this morning. He lays out uh, about seven evils of the world. And, you know, we talk about the world all the time, right? Uh, I define the world as the the systems of this world, the ideologies, the philosophies that are against God, that are against Christ, the the secular worldview that denies a creator, that denies an intelligent being who is God. that deny the existence of God. They deny that God created the world. That's the secular worldview, that that man is is, is ultimate, not God. That human achievement is ultimate, not being saved. That radical materialism, the, the, the acquisition of things is the chief goal of life. That's the secular worldview. The more you have, the better the person you are. The more acclaim you have, the better the person you are. The more people like you, the better the person you are. That's the secular worldview. That's the world. What the world praises, God hates. God detests. It is an abomination to him. So we're speaking of the world. That's what we are talking about. And Paul lays out masterfully in this passage how the world thinks and how you thought before you knew God. Before God saved you, you and I were the same way. Maybe not all these boxes checked off, but you in your mind were these ways in some form or fashion. So let's look at what he says about the world, the Gentiles, the pagans. So he said, don't walk as they walk. How do they walk? Number one, in the futility of their minds. Okay? It's characterized by the futility of their mind. Their thinking is futile. What does futile mean? Futile means empty, devoid of meaning. Our world today has possession of a lot of knowledge. We we have a computer in our hands that we carry around with us every day. And that's called a cell phone. It's a computer because it has a microprocessor in it. All uh, computers have microchips, microprocessors, and our phones have them too. They process information. We have computers walking around. We can ask a program on our phone. If you have an iPhone, which is the uh, best phone to have, by the way, no, 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 no. Uh, you can ask that lady. Her name is Siri. You can ask her a question, or you can ask your Google phone, your Android. You can ask a question on there. You can ask Alexa. You can tell Alexa to play things. You can tell Siri to play things. You can you can talk. It's called artificial intelligence. You can you can talk to your phone and it'll talk back to you and give you information. What do we do when we don't know something? We go to where? Google. It used to be Yahoo. Before they were GeoCities and all these other ones from the from the land that y'all young people probably never heard of. GeoCities and Yahoo was a big search engine back in the day. But now everybody goes to what? Google, let me Google that. If you need to know the me meaning to a word, you go on Google. Instead of going to open up a dictionary and flip some pages, we can just, hey, what does this word mean? And it'll pop up right there. We have all this knowledge. All this knowledge. But it's still empty because it is without Christ. And as Christians, we're not to imitate the life of unsaved people around us. Because remember, Ephesians 2 and 1. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. Sin. So why should we try to be like dead people? Why should we try to be like spiritually dead people? We've been raised from the dead. We've been given eternal life in Christ. Why should we try to be like those who are still dead in their sins? That's a futile mindset. These people are futile. They're, they're empty. The vanity of their minds. You might say the, the, uh, vain. Their life is an empty illusion. And that illusion is that there's satisfaction in sin. That's what it means to be futile in your mind, that you think that your life of sin is actually good. That's the futile mind. That's that's the empty mind of the the world. Your mind is futile. They think that sleeping around and and having a high, quote, body count is, is good. A badge of honor, body count for the uninitiated is how many uh, partners you've had, how many uh, times you've committed to sin of fornication. I just say it like that to this is a family our program. So you know how many times you've committed to sin of fornication, you know sex outside of marriage. And that's a badge of honor. Like that's something good. How many how many men I mean, how many women men have certain men have slept with? Like that's a a, a good thing. Satisfaction in sin, satisfaction in greed, satisfaction in being prideful and arrogant. That is the world. That's what it means to be futile. They're futile in their thinking. They're vain. They're all about themselves. They promote immorality as a lifestyle. That's the futile mind. They shout their abortion. They're, they're proud that they murdered their children. That's a futile mind. That's an empty mind. And you know what? They're in more intense pain than you'll ever know. Let me tell you something about the world. And I say this all the time. I don't care what they post on Facebook. I don't care what they put out there. If they are without Christ, they are in misery. You take that to the bank. If you have a biblical worldview about that course, they're going to put out there that their life is happening because they have to mask it. They're miserable. If you're without Christ in this world, you're going to see you're in misery. So, what does this futility of the man lead to? They're futile. They're thinking because their understanding is darkened. They're darkened in their understanding. People who reject the knowledge of God, they think of themselves as being enlightened, or think of themselves as being smarter than everyone else. That's what they think. They think they're smarter, but they're not. You said they have all the cocktail parties and the, the wine-drinking parties and, and 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 all the things involving beer and alcohol and 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 loose. Relations and all that. And you think that you're living a good life. You're darkened in your understanding. That child of darkness is 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 right there in you. Now this is not saying that man in this obeying state is not capable of mighty intellectual achievements. Because man is. Through common grace God does give man with intellect. But those achievements fall short of true wisdom, which comes from God. Proverbs nine and ten says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." I don't care what your credentials are. I don't care what uh, degree, how many degrees you have behind your name. If you don't know God, that wisdom is 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 nothing. It's empty. Don't tell them how many degrees you got. Don't, 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 don't tell them your credentials. If you are without Christ, that doesn't even matter. Your wisdom is of this world. Your wisdom comes from God's word. You may say some smart things, but that's only because God gave you that intellect. But he gave you that intellect for his glory and not for yours. Not so that people can look at you and say, oh, they're so smart. Oh, they're so wise. Oh, no, it's supposed to be to God. It is God who made me wise. It is God who gave me this intellect. But this world doesn't think that way. Why? Because they are darkened in their understanding. They're darkened. Their minds are dark. Everything they think about is dark. Darkness follows them. So that's what it leads to. They're futile, they're empty, and that leads to a darkened mind. And so this affects the pagan mind. This affects the mind of unbelievers, And they're so darkened that they're blinded to uh, the truth of the gospel. That's what it leads to. It's not a temporary condition. It's their understanding. That's the way they see the world. I know people like that. They see everything through darkness. They find dark humor in everything. Every time they talk, it's always just dark stuff. Their life is just characterized by darkness. Why? Because that's the pagan man. It just progresses worse and worse and worse. They uh, they lost perception of their moral values. And think that's what's being promoted in our day. They can just watch the news. You know that. Look at the perversion of moral values in our nation. You know it's something the United States at one time used to be the exporter of good ideas around the world. Now we're exporting bad ideas that men can get pregnant and that a a a, a a a child that thinks a boy that thinks he's a girl is actually a girl. Mutilating young girls. Mutilating young boys. Giving them Drugs that are going to sterilize them for life. And showing the whole world this is how you ought to treat your children, which is child abuse. In a righteous world, those parents will be put under the jail because that's child abuse. But when your mind is darkened, that's how the dark mind looks. What did God say in Isaiah 5? Woe to them who call good evil and evil good who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Woe to them. That's the dark mind. They're given over to that. That's what we see in our world. And Christians are not to walk this way. We're not even to think this way. We're not even to think that that's okay because it's not to abuse children like that. You're ruining them for life there to be patience for life. A boy can never be a girl under any circumstances. And a girl can never become a boy. And a man cannot become a woman and a woman cannot become a man and a man cannot get pregnant. But that's the darkened world. That baby in the womb is a person it's not a fetus. That baby womb was created and made and knitted in that mother's womb by God Himself. And you're saying it's okay because it's a woman's right to choose my body, my choice. What about that body inside her stomach? That's a life. But the darkened mind says no. It's their mother's right to kill her own baby. Because over 95% of abortions are performed by unmarried women. They commit the sin of fornication. That's one sin. Then they get pregnant. And then they kill their baby as a consequence of their sin. That's two sins. Now God does forgive if that person comes to God and repents and turns to Christ in faith, God will save them. He, he he's merciful to a, a mother who's killed her babies through abortion. He's merciful to them. But the point I'm making is you have a system out there that says that's okay. Some states, like New York, says it's okay to kill a child even after birth. <coughs> That's the darkened mind. Because of futility. And that is a life, he continues here, because they're alienated from the life of God. So it says they're darkened understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't have God in them. Why do people behave the way they do? Why do unbelievers believers behave the way they do? Because they don't have God in them. They don't have the spirit of God. They're alienated. They're separated from God. They're separated from his life. So you know what? They can't help it. They're alienated from the life of God through what? Ignorance that is in them. And this is a picture of all mankind without Christ. You know, the rebellion of Adam, as I said earlier, that uh, which uh, is inherited by all people. You have men who think they're living, but they're dead. You have people who think they're alive, but they're walking corpses because they're dead spiritually. That's what matters more than anything else. You be just as vibrant as you want to be. But when that breath is snuffed out of you, and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a worse fate that's waiting you. You got people like me before. I would say I'll spend my whole paycheck going to the E club, spending, getting drunk, uh, going through packs and packs of cigarettes because I thought I was having a good time. And that's an expensive way to try to have fun <laughs> by going through your old paycheck. Yeah, some people take their paycheck and drive down to the to uh, the Wind Creek Casino. Take their mortgage down there. We had a customer in our office that that, uh, that got behind on their auto insurance because they took their auto insurance payment the month before I went down to the to try to... Win at the slots. and didn't win anything. I can tell you what I was saying in my mind. But, you know, I'm like, really? But you have people who do that. Why? They, that's an expensive way to have a good time. And that's the way the world is. Having they quote good time in the world will cost you. One, is going to cost you your soul. What profit is it to a man that gains the whole world? Lose his soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? They understand the darkness, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And that is the ignorance. means unknowing, uh, lacking uh, common knowledge. No communication with God. Dead and trespasses. They're ignorant of the advantage of a relationship with God. They don't know what they're missing people who are unsaved that's why we need to evangelize them they don't know what they're missing but the problem is that they love their sin so much they love it and they th- they look at this man I become a Christian I can't I can't do all this sin anymore but guess what that's actually good for you because what is that sin leading to misery? Sin leads to misery always. There's nothing good about sin. There's nothing fun about it. That's the lie, that's the deception. So Paul here is is showing how it looks to be an unbeliever, how it looks to be a pagan. But I got bad news for you. It don't get better. It gets worse. He says the understanding is darkened, be elated from the light of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Their hearts are blind. Why is it hard, excuse me, for unbelievers to come to faith? Because their hearts are blind. <clears throat> hearts have been blinded. If you believe God's truth then you receive God's life. But if you reject God's truth, you reject life. You reject God's life. You would think that the unbeliever will want to get out of the life that they're in to get out of this terrible spiritual condition. But guess what? Guess what the them Their hardness, the blindness of their heart. The unbeliever is enslaved by the blindness of their own hearts. They won't believe because they what? They can't believe. Why can't they believe? Because they're enslaved to the hardness of their heart. They're enslaved by the hardness of their hearts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for it is foolishness to him. It's foolishness. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that truth, and that is why we pray for that. The ignorance and lack of understanding is a hard problem. And it leads to a lot of bad things. God excoriated, he criticized his own people because of their hardness. The blindness of their hearts. Which led them into rebellion against him. He did the same thing with Israel. And he does the same thing with us. And what does this hardness lead to? This is the worst thing right here. Who, being past feeling, want to explain what that means? Having given themselves, notice, given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So, this is the. Uh, final evil that is the most troublesome. A person that's past feeling past feeling uh, has the Greek idea of uh, a person's skin becoming callous and no longer sensitive to pain. Now you've got calluses on your feet bottom of your feet or on your, the sides of your, your, uh, your toes. If you take a needle and poke that callus, you're not going to feel anything because it's dead skin. That's how the heart is of Gentiles, of pagans. They are past feeling. They they can know that they're, they're no longer sensitive to sin. It, it is the logical result of the blindness of their hearts. Blindness can be understood as, as hardening. And hardening comes from the Greek word that is used medically to denote the callus form when a bone has been fractured and reset. The callus is even harder than the bone itself. That's how it looks to have a hard heart they have become callous past feeling sin doesn't affect them the consequences of the sin doesn't affect them you know i always talk about this you know we we use this term uh rock bottom i used it at one time until i realize that that's that's a secular psychological uh, term that we shouldn't be using as believers because nobody ever reaches rock bottom. We say oh yeah it, it, you know when they hit rock bottom they'll they'll see they'll turn to God. you should never assume that you're assuming grace number one you are giving that person false hope. I'm sure we know plenty of people who didn't hit rock bottom and they keep going down even more. Okay? Because there's no such thing as rock bottom. Now God does restrain evil in the human heart. He does do that. But when a person's understanding is darkened, they continue to get worse and worse. Their hearts get harder and harder and and more callous. It does do that. They become <coughs> past feeling. They they have no feeling of wrongdoing. They, they it's almost like their consciousness is seared. Their sinful actions don't bother them. Think about the person. We were uh at a funeral yesterday praying. I will say this, and uh, young man that was up preaching, uh, you know, I only agree with maybe five percent of what he said. Um, that did the eulogy why would he say that was true he said when you get used to living in sin it doesn't bother you anymore and he's right first of all Christians don't live in sin we struggle against sin but we don't live in sin a true Christian doesn't live in sin. We don't live a lifestyle of sin. We don't have a habit of sin. Our disposition, our natural disposition is not that of sin, but it is a pleasing God. It is a glorified God. We don't get gleeful about sin. We don't get happy about sin. If the true believer does. The true believer grieves over their sin. They hate their sin. They loathe their sin. They don't like to sin against God. They don't like to offend a holy God. That's, that's the heart of a true believer unbelievers they don't care because if so they would be trying not to live in sin but guess what they love their sin why because Paul says it they' are past feeling they're past feeling. The sin of uh, abusing their bodies doesn't bother them. The sin of sexual sin, whether it's uh, homosexuality, whether it's uh, fornication, whether it's adultery, whether it's pornography, the sin of stealing and robbing and, and lying and being deceitful, it doesn't bother them. They're not phased by it. The sin of committing murder, the sin of gossip, the sin of of of, of, of slander—all all, all of these sins, small little little bit sins and big sins—they do not bother them because they are what past feeling. And what does that past feeling lead to? They've given themselves over. This is Romans 1 language right here where Paul gives those who uh, reject God deny God over to their sinful rebellion. This is the position that an unbeliever does not want to be in. Because the giving over, Paul says here, to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The ESB says having given themselves over to sensuality greeted to practice every kind of impurity when a person who is an unbeliever are past feeling they wax worse and worse into sin. they pursue sin they get into more sin they plunge further into immorality and the seriousness it is a vicious cycle It leads to a desire to go deeper and deeper into sin. That's why I said there's no such thing as rock bottom. Guess what? They just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. J. Vernon McGee said if you paint the town red tonight, you you have to have a bigger bucket and a bigger brush for the next night because that's how sin works. It starts little and then it does what? Grows. Unless sin is dealt with at the altar, it's going to get worse. It's going to progress. You, you, you're not just going to snap out of it. Paul said in Romans 1 and 24. Paul said in, in Romans 1, That God delivered humanity over to their own desires. He gave them over to what they wanted to do. That's what God does. And that is a judgment against that person. In other words, God said, you want to do that sin or those sins? You want to continue in it? You can have it. That's what he does. It's a judgment against him. And that's what, this is what unbelievers are like. This is what pagans are like. Giving them over to lewdness, to work all our cleanliness with greediness. Because the fact is, the sad thing is that people who are in sin are never satisfied with sin. Yet they keep sinning because they're trying to be satisfied that's the deceitfulness of sin you're you're not satisfied with your sin but yet you, you commit more sin to try to satisfy yourself it's, it's a vicious cycle they become abandoned to sin and that's what happens when God gives them over they, they, they're abandoned to sin God gave them up to their own uncleanness through their own lust their own sinful desires And you can reach the place, my friend, where you are an abandoned sinner, where God turns you over, and you do not want to be in that place. Repent and turn to Christ and believe right now. Because he will give you over to your rebellion. He gives you exactly what you want. Why did he have to save Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah? Because the sin was so great. And Peter said, first Peter said that Lot's soul was vexed by what he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. They wanted to rape his doors. They were banging on his door. Because that's how great sin has become in Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think is happening now? You have men dressing up as caricatures of women calling themselves drag queens performing in front of kids. Why? Because they want your kids. They are perverts. That's what they are. They've been given over to that lewdness. And people are putting their children in front of them. These pedophiles, that's what they are. They have fetishes for children. That's the truth. They want your children. They want to sexualize these little kids so that they can grow confused. That's how the lewd mind works. Say, you know what? They don't care. They don't care. That's the lewd mind that God gives people over to. And unless they turn, they're going to burn. What did Jesus say? What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. You'd be better off tying a millstone around your neck and casting yourself into the sea than to hurt any one of these little ones. That's what Jesus said. You better drowning yourself than hurting a child. But that's what our society is doing, not what our society is saying, it's okay. <clears throat> Why? Because that darkened mind leads to that turning over, that past feeling. But this is not the way Christians are to walk. And that's what Paul said in this first section. We're no longer to walk like that. We don't think like that anymore. We don't think it's okay to mutilate children. We don't think it's okay to sexualize children. We don't think it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. We don't think it's okay for the government to keep stealing our money and giving it to people who don't want to work. We don't think that's okay. Our minds change, our thinking changes. We're no longer to walk in that way. Because look at what he says in verse 20. He makes transition. This is not the way you learned Christ. This is not what you learned in Christ. You have not so learned in Christ. If it so be that you heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ Jesus. This is a contrast with the life of the Gentiles. If anyone's not listening to Jesus then he is not their savior. He is not their Lord. Jesus said in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice. He knows who his sheep are. His sheep would not follow a hireling, a false shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. Where's his voice? Right here in his word. His sheep knows his word. His sheep hears his word and his sheep obey his word. So he says, Paul says, we're not to be like Gentiles. We haven't learned this in Christ. Jesus is our shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. And If we haven't heard Christ's voice, then we're not one of his sheep. And what is Christ telling us to come to him? Or his first words, his gospel ministry, repent and believe the gospel. That's Jesus's voice. That's what He's calling every unbeliever to do: to repent, to turn to Him, and believe. What will change in us from their own nature? Knowing Christ, learning Christ, to listen to Christ, to hear Him, to be taught by Him. And you know, so that's what Paul is saying. The difference is. I like what uh. J. Brenner McGee said, he said, he says, when an unsaved man writes to me and says that he disagrees with me, he says he's not upset. He said, I think, fine. I hope you don't agree with me. Because at what point should an unbeliever agree with him? (laughs) He said, if he does agree with him, then that means that he's in trouble. Something would be wrong if he did agree. So this life that we live is different from that of the world. So Paul says again, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in who? Jesus. The truth is in Christ. The truth is in Christ. And when he's talking about the truth, he's talking about the truth of God, the truth of who God is, the truth of who Christ is. Christ is the Messiah, the, Messiah, rather, the holy one the sent of God. He is the Son of God who came in the world to save sinners, who came to die on the cross as our substitute, who died in our place for our sins, and replace our faith and trust in him, we will be saved and have eternal life. That is the truth. The better we understand the word of God, the better we know the son of God. Because the whole Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about the Old Testament, studied through the Old Testament. We've pointed out many times. All the Bible is about Christ, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All the Bible, from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Same person, Jesus Christ. The Bible is about Christ. And that is the truth of God that Paul is speaking about. And we as believers ought to be intelligent in the things of the Word, not intelligent in the things of the world. <laughs> then I say man does not know Christ. But the believer grows in the knowledge of Christ every single day. We believe the truth, we receive the light that comes through the truth, and therefore we speak the truth. The world does not believe the truth, so they can't live a life of truth. They may say some true things, but that is only because God has revealed it to them, because God is the only source of truth. All truth comes from God. Any truth that any unbeliever uh, says comes from the God of truth. So he says here continually assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him so what are we to do? verse 22 put out the old self what is the old self? the old self we talked about in verses 17 through 19 the old self was futile the old self was dark in understanding the old self was elevated from the life of God the old self was ignorant the old self had the hardness of heart. The old self had a heart that was callous. The old self gave himself over to the seriousness. What, what does Paul say to believers to do? Put off the old. The old self, the old thinking, the old worldview that you believe. And friends, it is a constant thing. Put off out, put out is, a, is a constant present tense verb. We are continuing to put off the old man. We're continuing to put aside sin. We're continuing, as Paul says in Colossians 3, to put sin to death. It is something that is continuous. As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to always contend with the sin that's in us. Now, we struggle against sin. We don't live in sin. Can't say that enough. All of us have struggled with sins. If not, you have a struggle with sin of pride. But what do we do? Put it to death. Put off the old man. It's the same idea of putting off or putting on a set of clothes. The whole idea is to change into a different kind of conduct. Think about a prisoner who's released from prison. But still wears his prison clothes and acts like a prisoner and not as a free man. The first thing you tell that person is what? Hey, man, go put on some new clothes. You're not in prison anymore. Well, guess what? When we're in Christ, we're not in prison to sin anymore. We're not prisoners of sin anymore. We're prisoners of Christ. We're slaves to Christ. So guess what? We dress differently. We present ourselves differently because we are no longer in sin. No longer slaves. And you know what? If a person dressed immodestly before they came to Christ, then guess what? They should dress more like a Christian is supposed to dress. Because there's a change in how you view yourself, how you view your body. Your body is only to be meant, your body is only meant to be seen by your husband. No one should know how your body looks. But your husband or your wife. No one should have, uh, you should not present yourself leaving little to the imagination for other people to see. Amen Amen. and amen again. My body belongs to my wife. No one should know how any part of my body looks. I don't mean I can't wear shorts and stuff like that, but you know what I mean? Walking around with my shirt off and all that for everybody else to see. That's not for anybody else to see with my wife. She shouldn't walk around with 5% or 2% clothes on out in public at the beach for other men to see who are not her husband. And other men know how my wife's body looks. That's not how a Christian woman should present herself to the world. That doesn't mean you have to walk around with a long dress on, sleep on the floor. Like these homeless people do. They They go all the way to the other ditch. No, that's not what we mean. But guess what? Your conduct is different. You're putting it off work. The old man, the old way of thinking. In all ways. And how do we do that? With the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. The Holy Spirit helps us to put off sin. When you get saved, you're not going to automatically start not sinning. No, you're going to recognize your sin even more. You know, I I came up uh, when I got saved back in '91. That was when people were all into this perfection thing. It was no such thing, but man, you had to try not to sin. That was hard because you can't not sin. You're going to sin. But the key is how you view your sin as believers. As a believer, you view your sin as something to put off, not to embrace and not to wear, not to be proud of not to boast about no you see it as no Lord help me to to you know one of the greatest prayers you can pray is Lord help me to defeat this sin Lord help me with my sinful thoughts Lord help me to shut my mouth (laughs) help me to say words that are edifying that build up. Help me to love my wife or my husband or my children. When we sit and deal with our sins, we just shake our head like, man. But God is so gracious. He helps us to put off the old man. So we put off the former. Conversation, the former way of life of the old man. Why? Because it is corrupt, according to deceitful lusts or sinful desires. We ought to put off the old man, the former conduct, which is, which grows corrupt. That's what it does. It it, it grows corrupt. It gets. Worse and worse and worse. So, we put it off. We fight to do it as believers. We're not like the gentle house who enjoy it. We put it off. We pray about it. We read about it. We read the Word. The more we read God's Word, the more we see our sin and the more God helps us to put that sin off put it away from us. He does give us the power to do that. There are many testimonies to that. So we put it off and we're being what renewed in the spirit of our mind that we may put on the new man which was created according to God. As Christians, we will never reach the place where we don't sin and we don't need to try to. We'll never get to the place where we won't sin. But we are at the place where sin doesn't have master over us because that was taken care of at the cross. Christ did that for us. The old man has already been crucified in the death of Christ. Paul says this in Romans 6 and 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I'll read that again. as Romans 6 and 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So at the cross, Christ made it to where believers would not serve sin anymore. Now, in view of that truth, since the old man has been crucified with Christ, then we have to put it off again in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's already done. But this does not mean that the flesh is eliminated in this life. We're still going to contend, remember, with the world, flesh, and the devil. We're still going to have to contend with those things. But it's not a hopeless fight. We don't get rid of the old nature. But we're not to live in it. We're not to allow it to control our lives. That's what it means by putting off the old man. We don't allow the old man to control our lives. Why? Because it's been put to death by Christ. But we do have a new nature. And this is the result of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The Holy Spirit renews us. He regenerates us. Paul says this in, in Titus 3. We are, are washed through regeneration by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God Regenerate. Regenerates means to, to make alive. He gives us a new heart. And any man in Christ, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are to live in that new nature. We are to live in that new man. And who is this new man? He is created according to who? God in true righteousness and holiness. When we're creating righteousness, this talks about the Imputed righteousness of Christ. We talk about imputed it means to be laid to someone's account, to be charged to someone's account. Man, we, we, we just we always have to remember this stuff. This is the doctrine of justification by faith. When we are saved, we we receive Christ's righteousness. And it is as if we've never sinned. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ on us. If you are a believer this morning, you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. When God sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness. He does not see your sin. For the believer, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. Thank God for the imputed righteousness of Christ. If Christ did not give us his righteousness, we cannot stand before God. So this new man, we're not just saved for being saved, Satan. No, something happened. It was a great exchange that took place. When God saved us, he took away our old filthy garments of sin. And he clothed us with the robes of Christ's righteousness. that's what he did so we are created this new man was created according to God in true righteousness the righteousness of Christ and since we have been declared righteous and since we are in Christ seated in the heavenly places with him as Paul says earlier in this book we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Then I walk should be the same a walk of holiness a walk of righteousness and I'll say this as I get ready to close that goes into every phase of our life when you're on your job you walk in righteousness and holiness how do you do that? the Bible says let no murmur or complain proceed from your mouth me tell you this. The hardest job I ever worked was at UPS for two years, down in uh, Oxford, doing preload in the mornings. You know what got me through my days? Colossians 3, through 25. When I pulled up to work every single morning, whether it was 2:30, 1:30, midnight, 11 o'clock, the night before. Whatever time start time was, I I would always get to work five minutes early, sit in my car, open my Bible app on my phone, and pray Colossians 3, 22, 25. And I went in there and loaded those package cars with excellence every morning to the glory of God. because I knew who I worked for. My direct deposit may have said UPS, United Apostle Service, but it was God who I was working for. Christian, let me tell you something. The way to walk in holiness and righteousness is to do everything to God's glory. That's what the new man does. <laughs> Phil Ozer, who died of redeem he worked at UPS for me. He said this is one of our iron-on-iron meetings back in maybe 2018. He said complaining is a universal language. What he meant was everybody at the job can sit around and do what? Complain. Complain. Everybody, man. You start complaining, everybody in there start coming around. It's the universal language of work. But gratitude, thankfulness, Just doing your job to God's glory is a better example than being a complainer. I can say it was only because of God's grace and his work in me. I never complained to any of my co-workers when I was there. It It was hard work. I was the more joyful and jovial one of everybody. Because I knew who I was working for. I was working for God and I wanted to please God and I wanted to be a godly example to my unsaved co-workers that was on the belt with me. We have to think about whose glory. We have to think about whose righteousness we have. We have to think about how we are to live in this world by putting up that old man. And pucker up, buttercup. And do what? Work to the glory of God. Raise your children to the glory of God. Love your husband. Love your wife to the glory of God in righteousness, true righteousness, and holiness. That's what we do when we put on a new man. We do it in righteousness and holiness. Anybody can do the other stuff. That's what the world does. Let the pagans complain. Let the pagans miss. Um, uh, abuse their children is wrong. We let God take care of them, but but let them do that. Let the husbands mistreat their wives, and why? That's what pagans are going to do, because they're pagans. But as Paul says, we should not walk as who the Gentiles. We walk differently. We act differently. We walk differently because we put off that old man and we put on the new man, and we live with new people. Are we going to do it perfectly? No. But each time we don't, we know that we can go to God and say, Lord, help me to live a life of true righteousness which I have in Christ and holiness. Don't you think God will answer that prayer? Because he wants you to do what? Glorify him in how you live glorify him in how you work glorify him in your recreational activities that wasn't in my notes but the Lord led me to say that as some of these preachers say somebody hear this you know I don't know who does it could be myself but the point is is that everything we do in life is always to be to God's glory that's part of the new man We were created according to God. We're recreated, we're regenerated in true righteousness and holiness. And that should show in every part of our life, in the likeness of God. God made us in his image, and we're meant to mirror and image God to the world. Let us pray. Amen, Lord. Thank you for your Word. It convicts us as believers. It also encourages us. It cuts both ways. It convicts and it encourages. Lord, help help us this morning. As we go through this world, the world is in chaos because they rejected you. They denied you. But Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. To put on a new man every day. To put off the old man every day. To to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil with the spirit's help. Christ has defeated the power of sin for us at the cross. Lord, help us by your spirit. Because we have to remember, Lord, believers, we, we don't get comfortable with sin. We don't brag about sin. We don't boast about it. We don't Rebel in it. Oh, we Lord, help us to hate our sin. Help us to loathe our sins and to bring them to you. And cry out, Lord, help me. As Paul said in Romans 7, who shall deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord put out the old man and to put on the new man which was created according to you in true righteousness and holiness. And Lord, use this message to bring sinners to repentance, because right now, Father, they are futile in their thinking. Their understanding is darkened. Dark in there. they hell, need from life in you because of the ignorance in them. Their hearts are blind, they are past feeling, and they have given themselves over to all uncleanness for greediness. Lord, we know that you will turn away no one who calls out to you. May the unbelievers cry out, Lord. Save me. And Lord, you will save them. You save to the utmost, no matter what station a person is in life, no matter what they've done in their past. Lord, when the unbeliever calls out to you, Lord, to save them, Lord, you are mighty to save. Lord, grant them saving the faith this morning. And you will receive all the glory. In Christ's name. We pray, Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for His Amen. Word. A little bit strong this morning, but. Uh...